Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That's what we want. <laughs> that's exactly what we want. Mike mentioned while we were doing the setup that a couple of his pals have passed away. Is that true, Michael? Oh, it is. I started a um, meeting about 14 years ago down at my studio in Long Beach. A good uh, meeting. And I've been to it. It was awesome. You spoke at it. Yeah, there was a, it was well, a rehearsal studio. A couple of the original members, yes. Um, That's just insane. And these are guys that used for a long time, man. So there you go. There's your, you know, I mean, your, your rap. In a, in we're a not making this stuff up. No. We're not making it up. It's sad. It's so sad, right? So guess what? I just got back from Milwaukee, hung out for three, two days with the Don't Die guys, Don't Die Wisconsin guys, and they are doing some things. So, so for one thing, Milwaukee is an amazing town. So it's way better than L.A. But, <laughs> Do, really? but and it's a million times better than Orange <laughs> County. Yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Orange County in the house. Do they ice fish there? I don't know. It was <laughs> 70 degrees and sunny, Mike. <laughs> I know, but in the winter, is that where they ice fish? No, because I think that's Minnesota. Uh, you're thinking of Fargo stuff. Fargo. Like, he watches too much cable That television. would make me just say it was the best town in the world if you could just go out and ice fish. Well, you can probably ice fish not far away from there in a lake. But anyways, we digress. Bear, right? The point is, you didn't ask when, you have a, Jesus, when you have a small town like that and you have a a vibrant 12-step community. I went to old man morning, Saturday morning, 10 a.m. meeting. It was amazing. Oh, <laughs> it was amazing. You're talking about 80-year-old guys so open-minded. This guy, uh, it was just amazing. And what I started to think, because I couldn't sleep, because it was just, I was all off time. I took a red eye there, and then I tried to sleep on the plane, and then I didn't sleep. And Are they three so, hours ahead there? Or? Two hours ahead. Uh-huh. So... So I was thinking a lot, and I was thinking, why is this working so good here? And it's the people. There you go. I didn't hear one divisive. It's not like L.A. I don't know how to explain it. Well, so, they're doing what we talk about. <laughs> yeah. You know? But it's, not, it's just not Ryan, Kevin, and Patrick and their wives, who are all amazing, but it's the community itself. And then we went to the... To the um, to the HIV and uh, AIDS and hepatitis C uh, harm reduction place that the benefit was for. And they're talking about, they're like so miles ahead of anybody out here. They're talking about the, the kid who started, he's like a kid to me, he's a kid. To, to me, everybody's a kid. <laughs> he's like 30. <laughs> no, so there's this guy that started and then he's retired and then the kid that's taking it over, he literally, he must be, he's probably 30, but he's, to me, he seems like he's 15 or something. But um, they're going to give fentanyl testing kits to the addicts hmm. how fucking brilliant is that yeah no that that's real don't die bottom line stuff if you These, can't stop right now don't don't accidentally die so at the friday night lecture the city councilman who's a big advocate for don't die he, like they have city council members support you have the city council members saying don't die wisconsin i've got a crossing guard in huntington <laughs> beach that likes us Oh my God! So These the are guy, they're important people. But Mike. guess what? There, you you watch the death rate go. In 2012, it was unacceptable to 
2014 is when it explodes. It just doubles. Right. It doubles between 2012 and 2000. So I said, 2014 is when fentanyl came to town. And they were all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then it just goes up 15, 16, 17. And guess what? Because of these people's efforts, the needle exchange, the don't die guys, the city councilmen, the EMT uh, uh, kind of people, just everybody coming together as a community. There's only been 186 overdose deaths as of August 1st. That's more than half the year. They are going to have less deaths in 2018 than they did in 2017. And it's directly a result of these like four people I met down at the needle exchange, the three don't die guys, the 12 step community being so supportive of those organizations it's amazing. So, so yeah, it was an idea I had. We could never f quite get it off the ground, <laughs> but well, Milwaukee is, is doing it. Well, not only that, but it sounds like the other thing we talk about in LA and Orange County is, is um, about being open-minded and being willing to grow and change and try new things. Sounds like they're actually willing to do that. Yeah, and I, you know, as open-minded as, as I'm becoming about Suboxone, like Patrick is way more open-minded, right? And he's a sober guy, right? And I try to be open-minded, but, but there's some people I talk to, like they're super open-minded, mm. right? That any solution that, that, that has the person surviving their 20s is a great solution, right? I'm not there yet. <laughs> Right, right. You know where my mind went? Was, <laughs> yeah, you wanted, to do, you wanted to smoke pot and do Suboxone. I know where your no, mind went. No, 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 no. I, I, I was thinking that we could treat fentanyl addiction with heroin. <laughs> that, right? That's really, it's really a bad idea. You better not tell fi, uh, 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 Purdue that. They're going to start trying that. The bear that will bring it back. Idea, I admit, but that's where my mind bear went. Bear will bring it back with a new Well, yeah, no, I mean, that's, there comes a point where, you know, the lesser of two, two evils is hard to tell. It's hard to tell which one is, you know, but people staying alive through their 20s which is when we're having all the massive overdoses for the most part. Not Except there, though. It was, it was weird. You know who's really dying? Mike, Mike who just mentioned his two friends. The, the late 30s, people are dying. Listen, these statistics were mind-blowing. They had people overdosing on fentanyl and dying in their 70s up there. It's crazy. So are they I, people that are clean for a long time and go back to using and they don't no, know what they're dealing with? No, I think it's people, you know, I, the, uh, I asked a bunch of questions and one seems to be that they cut the drugs off at the pharmacy and people are just buying them. Apparently, you know, you can just okay. buy them. From, so you're, they're buying the stamp and pills not, and stuff. It's not yeah, like they're shooting, but, but they're, they're... They're just regular pill takers, but uh, they're also... It's not like drug dealing here in Los Angeles, I would imagine. I think it's more like, you know, it's like... It look. It seems legit, like you're buying it from your grandson or something. Right. <laughs> like, and, well, and and they look like the ones like, you got in the orange bottle yeah, yeah. from your doctor. Only they're not. Yeah. They're a bunch of crap and a little bit of fentanyl, or a lot of fentanyl. It doesn't take a lot. Yeah, man. it doesn't take a lot. But but anyways, that <laughs> that was an amazing experience. But I didn't sleep, and then I was on the plane. I think I got an upper respiratory thing. I can't you breathe. You probably today. drank like nine Red Bulls in one day. No, I was drinking coffee. The hotel had free coffee. Oh, free, that's my boy. Free donut. Free. You know the donut place. What's it called? The New York donut place. <laughs> cheap date. I, I don't know the. I don't know anything Dunkin about New York Dunkin' Donuts. Donuts. Free Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin donuts coffee. 
I must uh, have drank it in a hundred cups of it. Good for you. Yeah. But Bob, come to Wisconsin. We got free coffee and donuts. <laughs> and ice fishing, from what I understand. Oh, ice fishing. The first thing Mike does. <laughs> so they ice. Does everyone know that Mike grew up in Sunset Beach? Yeah. That was <laughs> like a you great think he town. grew up in like was you know, like the upper reaches of Yosemite or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got a goal. He wants to retire somewhere with ice fishing so he can so go out now, in those huts. For, for months, we've tried to get your friend Troy on, right? Chuck? Right. And I know it's a hassle driving out here to Claremont and stuff. And so we're going to try to we're, try to accommodate people to not have to come here to the, to the studio by calling in. And Mike has tested this whole system now. Oh, this is fail-proof. We're going to give it a whirl fail-proof FaceTime audio. Hi, yes, it's me. Oh, my gosh. Hey. <laughs> Hello. Good. Let's just talk real quick. I'm Bob, and I, I'm, you know, I, you know, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time, and, and I'm sorry for what you've gone through, and, and, you know, I hear about it from Chuck, and, and you know, I was, I've always wanted to talk to you about something. Do you mind getting right into it? I don't mind at all. I, I, I love talking about it. So okay, in my mind, like I met your your late husband from Norwood, from Fishbone, right? Um, oh, Norwood. Very, yes. very early on, long before all the the success and stuff, and and we played some shows with the, him, and and I always felt like there were certain musicians in Los Angeles that I could just sense that he respected and looked up to, right? Absolutely. And he was we were, a, a fan we, more than any. Yeah, and we were all junkies. And <laughs> and I just, like, the moment I heard it, what had happened, I was just like, oh, man. It was starting to dawn on me that me and Perry and Anthony in particular just celebrated our drug addiction, mm-hmm. right? And it's something I yeah. always have regretted and I've tried to make amends for. I hope you know... Um, you know, I just, there's nothing you can do about that. Like, people choose their own kind of heroes. Mine were Lou Reed. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know and, what I mean? You know, we, we had Sid Vicious and, you know. <laughs> yeah. So. All the punk rockers. Yeah. Darby Crash. What are my heroes? Lou Reed, Darby Crash. My- Junkies or musicians? <laughs> <laughs> Same yeah. thing, right? <laughs> so, so. Uh, sometimes, yeah. I just always wanted to say. You know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was so oh, thank you. so ignorant and and you know, but you can't unring bells. And it seems like you you're moving forward for decades, like trying to be positive and trying to enlighten people and trying to be and you know share your your story with people. I know that. Well, you know, I think one of the biggest factors in what um, fed his addiction was not only just the glamorizing of his idols you know other fellow musicians um which i think is starting to wane off i mean well you got all these young rappers now that you know xanax and hennessy but yeah you know it's it's just at least with the with the you know junkie and the heroin glamour it's kind of really um disappeared yeah i think well it dried up in the music business you know why i mean i then got sober '96, started playing music in the late '90s again, and and um, there was just <clears throat> this fear of how the internet was affecting the music business. That yeah. that really the music business not wanting to be involved with any musicians who do drugs, 
I mean, I remember the Campfire Girls were going to be the next Nirvana. And then it was known that they were heroin addicts and just uh, the record industry just had kind of turned their back on them. Whereas before with Bradley and Nirvana and Jane's Addiction and me and the Chili Peppers, that they didn't seem to mind. They didn't even seem to oh, no. care. They actually put Brad into rehab when he first signed with um, Universal uh, Gasoline Alley. The first thing they did was put him into private rehab. Yeah. And that 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 seemed to be the standard, but the new more more just cut and dry music business was if you're known for drugs, we just got no time. There's so little money. The money that the you know you're talking about, they were profiting, probably made a hundred million dollars off Sublime. You know what I mean? There was no ah. bands they were making a hundred million dollars off of by two thousand and four. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. And so, considering that you know they were making all that money after you know post. Humus, am I saying it right? After yeah, Bradley passed, it yeah. was really when the money started coming in because we had no idea. We, you know, he, they got their advance, they signed, they made the album out in Austin and got home. And I think he was able to do, um, they were able to perform the, the new songs, I think, twice at House of Blues in Hollywood. I mean, it was so new that his friend Scummy had to hold up the lyrics for a couple of the songs because, you know, Brad hadn't really. Uh, memorize them completely even though he wrote them but that's how new it was and no, then he, i know that uh, was, yeah, you know what that is that's pro tools baby <laughs> pro tools pro tools uh, when i when i when i discovered pro tools like you can write a song and have no idea of how it goes by the time it's over yeah. <laughs> one line at a time and, one line yeah, at well, a time and you, rock, yeah, for sure. it was it was something i remember that with the bicycle thief i had to like how does it go and i had to i had to like listen to the song with headphones to realize what it was that i was singing yeah <laughs> it's so crazy because because so pro funny. tools is so fast and you could make up different lyrics and you could you could completely change the music in like in a half yeah. hour whereas when it yeah. was on tape literally mike was there that when we made our first two albums they would cut with a razor blade the 24 track tape Right. Oh my goodness. And it was yeah. crazy. And now there was this new technology. Once I got sober, I was like, they said, you can go again. I was like, go again right now. And they were like, yeah. And you used to be, <laughs> you used to have got levels on another track because they wanted to save that track. And it was like, you can go again. You can go again. You can go again. Sing it again and yeah. see if you can sing it differently. Sing it again. Sing a different word. Sing again. Oh, was like my crazy. Goodness. And then pick which one you like the best. Yeah. No, then they pick, <laughs> no, then they pick which one they li you like the best. And you've got to learn what it was that you Yeah, did. pretty much, huh? Mm. Well, you know, that's how it was. You know, um, they were out there in Austin with Paul Leary from Butthole Circus, yeah. and he really pulled out a lot of a lot of good music. And I think it was great for Brad to be out of his element. Um, yeah, I hope Gibby wasn't around. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> but I recorded at that same studio, the Purden Now. Oh, really? Is that the Willie Nelson studio at the yes, golf course? Yes. Yeah, with, I played with golf Stewart, there. who they worked with out there. You did Sweet and Low there? Low no, and I did my solo record there. Oh, really? Yeah, I played golf there one time with Gibby, and uh, there were some stories too about when Sublime stayed there for a month. Oh yeah, <laughs> in the in oh, the like clubhouse. Uh, well, in the whole house, it's a whole big giant place. Yeah, no, I bet. I that. got to go there one night. I was there one night. I flew out to Austin, hung out with them for a couple of days, and it did went you from go, did you go in this hundred degrees to freezing cold rain to everything? And I got to go to the studio once, but um, I I believe the boys did get to meet Willie Nelson at one time, and they couldn't stop talking about it. 
How cool. They were such <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah, Did that's you go odd. swimming in the Scotty shaped pool, the Scotty dog shaped pool? No, I I didn't go swimming. Um, like I said, by the time I got there, it started pouring rain. But the boys, they got to go swimming in the lake. Right. And right. they were having a blast. So, of course, you know, they're telling me it's warm and lake. And I brought, like, sundresses and shorts. And I was freezing. But it, it, it's the first time I've been to Austin. It so was let's, really cool. let's talk about that record. Because I'm a music fanatic, historian, freak. Me too. Right? So <laughs> what he did by accident, and when you think about it, that it's this kid from long beach and paul leary coming up yeah. with this new genre of music that will be copied i mean it it is what what robin thick is and what and what uh you know all this Dirty music all it's, it's this, just millions it, it was just and and i do i have always i, I kind of you know kind of romanticized what must have happened they were just stoned on pot <laughs> and, and paul had these loops and then he just wrote these songs in a different way almost like especially the big hit it's almost like you're making fun of that kind of music that's and it's so brilliantly done and so his spirit well, you know, his spirit is I open i got an impression from paul that he was not only just you know one of our idols but he was very serious in the studio and and he it was work work, you know, it was work for him and um he was like the grown up. But it was amazing what he could get them to focus on and really um hone in on what Brad was trying to get across. I mean, there's you know, like Gel House, that that song in particular is like three different three different reggae artists. There's Bob Marley, Tenor Saw, and oh I can't remember the name of the other one, but he mixed it, you know, that's the thing, the beauty of Brad is that he didn't sample from bands. He actually turned other musicians or other band songs into his own. Yeah, that and, the, and that, that that became was, a way of recording. By the way, so so and the reason why Paul and for those who don't know, Paul is a guitar player, butthole surfers, and and produced the Meat Puppets and just this amazing musician, but also this guy that loves like not I'm not going to say techno, but he loves the technology of the recording studio, and he has no trouble looping things or taking samples and he was one of the first because when you think about it punk rock was so rigid and dogmatic and what the butthole surfers did was like there's no rules right. we're gonna have a pop song we're gonna have a the butthole surfers have a have an a techno offshoot offshoot an instrumental band called the jack officers that basically the Jack is just, officers. Yeah, the Jack officers. I got I got I got to look that up. <laughs> and it's a lot of yeah. loops, and it's right before working with Sublime, and it's a lot of loops. So they started getting into loops and computers. Gibby showed me this program called LSD. He goes, "Bibbity, you can make a song with the computer. You don't need musicians." <laughs> <laughs> Bibbity. Wow. Yeah, that's what well, he calls you know, me. Robin the Hood is notorious. The album that um, that they recorded. Uh, I think it was maybe their third. It was a choice for being recorded mostly on a four track. He was squatting in um, track homes that were being built in Dana Point. So they were, you know, empty. <laughs> nice, and nice, nice slum area to. to, to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And by then, I mean, if you, if you listen to the album in full, you know, it's, it's kind of dark. It's not fun, right. like 40 Ounce Freedom. And, yeah, that's um, the one where he mentions just, my name at the end. And somebody pointed it out right after yeah. he passed. And he and I, and as soon as I heard that, he's a shout out to Bob Forrest and Dobbs, 
And I'm like, no. oh my God. He's, she's thank, he he's thanking huge. two horrible drug addicts, like, alcoholics. This is yeah. not good. But he had a huge library of music in his head, you know, and, and right. people that he just really worshiped and admired. And um, he had a very advanced taste for music, you know, he knew what was cool. I mean, to use that sample, Punk Rock Changed Our Lives from the Minutemen is just brilliant in the beginning of. Yeah, of, that uh, Ruka. So, but yeah, the the album Robin the Hood is pretty dark because that's when he was, I think, at his worst in his addiction and uh, the most strung out. And by then, he had burned all of his bridges, like most junkies do, you know, kicking on people's uh, couches and and you know, promising to not use again or get clean, and then he would use again. So by then, Bud and Eric were just they were overtaking care of him or believing in him, and I think most everybody was. And so he holed up in a in an empty track home and recorded most of that album on a four track. Yeah. So that's probably why he and Paul just, their minds got, got along really well. Yeah. Cause Paul's style is very different because Marshall Goodman did a lot of the arranging and the producing in the studio for the other albums. Um, and for a lot of, but the other, the other albums are band albums. This was different. The, though the yeah, band was there, actually, this was different. And so... This was paid for. It's <laughs> <yeah. laughs> nice to have a budget, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so, there you go. So, you're, you know, he's just an amazing musician and voice, and, and I just hear it in everything. Pat Pat Mraz, that song by Pat Mraz. First thing I heard of this motherfucker loved Sublime when he was a Jason kid. Mraz? Oh, Jason Mraz. Jason yeah, yeah, Mraz. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That kid yeah. must have listened to Sublime with headphones for fucking five and, Years. And Jack Johnson. Yeah, also. Jack Johnson yeah. for sure. The whole white edge, the reggae blanco thing. The whole reggae blanco thing, I think, came out of came out of Long Beach and came out of mostly. I mean, there's still it came bands, out of that one album. There's still bands that are yeah. trying to do it. I mean, I, you can't go to a club without seeing somebody that's trying to reproduce something that was so fresh and spontaneous and full of energy. All the energy wasn't sucked out of it like a lot of it is now. It was just so it, it, it's, it's well, still vital and as fresh today as it was. Bands that just make a sound all their own. That, well, but, but what I'm always interested in as a as a rock fanatic is how how something just goes along. And basically, when I when I used to play shows with Sublime, they were, they had, "Date Rape" was their main song, and it was all over the news, and it was this big popular thing. It was basically just a Fishbone song, you know, with different yeah, lyrics, yeah, right. And but yeah. but. But then when that when he does that, it's like, whoa! How did this kid think of that? You know what? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what's funny is I was <clears throat> talking to Noodles about it, and and he was just like watching Brad play. The rhythms he would play while singing were impossible. Were hard to sing. When that, play. that that that's one of those things where the, he was two different people happening right. at once. Yeah. And so other albums, would, other albums like that Sublime record that then leads to a whole genre of music of which there's probably a hundred artists that sound that's that you can direct I hear it. Yeah. I hear mm -hmm. it and I just go, they loved Sublime when they were a kid. And then the only other record and it's sitting right here in the studio is the replacements uh Let It Be. When that came out, all bands that kind of hadn't found their identity could just galvanize around that and what what the replacements did for my generation of musicians was you need to take songwriting really fucking seriously right yeah because because bands like circle jerks and black flag and bad religion and 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 i'm i'm, I'm not saying something negative i'm just saying it wasn't really about songwriting it was about this blast of who you were 
right? Hmm. And when well, you look distortion at- and punk rock and, yeah. and rebellion, and it was almost like rap, you know, because as long as the words rhyme, fit, fit the melody, yeah, as long as you and, said and, yeah. them, right? And then the replacement, Sometimes you couldn't even understand what they were saying, but it was punk rock because they had the you know yeah. guitar and the bass. But then you know you had some of the iconic bands that really stood out in that punk rock time era like bad brains and fugazi and you know that really stood out where you got their lyrics and their lyrics were intense and deep but yeah i, yeah, get I think i think the mainstream it's funny you mentioned fugazi because they're one of my favorite bands so so oh, yeah. tell me if i'm wrong somehow i think the minutemen and to a certain extent bob mold later who's do work gave ian like something to think about of what punk rock could be Right. Yeah. If you take the me puppets, Minutemen, and 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 the butthole later, surfers, you know, and butthole surfers. Kind of, yeah. Like what yeah. punk rock could be like. It doesn't have to be like Minor Threat. It doesn't have to be like the Circle Jerks. It can. Mm-hmm. And then Fugazi just, just it, uh, was, it was amazing. That Fugazi bass, it just kills me every time. If you saw them live, it was just a frightening thing to see. As a musician, as a musician, you just go. Like you just said about Bradley's guitar playing and singing the noodle set, you just can't be that good. Like they <laughs> knew each other so much that everything fit together like perfectly. And so, it, yeah, you know, and and your husband was That's a part magic. of it's of really creating. Magic. Well, the fact yeah. that Ian MacKay didn't use any guitar effects whatsoever, but he got a bunch of effects by using his volume control, his picking technique, different picks and different sounds well riffing all the time too which is what d boone used to do and what you're saying that brad did in a slower tempo yes, way exactly. right so but then brad could do post out a punk rock song you know he covered the descendants hope and um you know he could he could bust out in fact i think sublime's version of hope is faster than descendants original <laughs> really know? and you know and those can guys you do, are but phenomenal. can you do but can you play but can you play Der Wiener Schnitzel faster? I don't think anybody can play that <laughs> faster. <laughs> what oh, what were goodness. you saying? It's in what documentary? Troy? Can you say that again? Did you say there was th- that that version was in a documentary of some sort? Um, no, it was um, The Descendants, you know, Hope, and it's on right. their, and then Sublime covered it on their first album, the 40 Ounce to Freedom album. Right. Oh, okay. So and they do it a little bit faster than the descendants. But I think, I think you know. Chuck's got a documentary film on his mind. Is there not a documentary <laughs> film uh, involving your child somehow? Uh, yes, that okay. is part of. Um, Good segue, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that must have been painful. I haven't watched. I haven't seen it. I don't know how to get it. How do people watch it? I haven't it? seen it. Okay, but I haven't you- seen it, and I, you know, I'm torn because. Um, don't. I only saw then it if you it's Todd Zalkin's movie, it's his it's his autobiography documentary about you know his his way out of drug addiction and now he's a drug counselor and um yeah I played that twenty year anniversary of Sublime with him right he played at yes. the at the Fonda and yes and so and so I know this gets very touchy and I I don't know how to do it any other way but you could ask me about my son he's doing all right he's not doing great. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> we're all we're all parents of uh, yeah. Chuck. Chuck, we could do a whole session with how Chuck's <laughs> kids are doing. <laughs> are, are all of them sober right now? One of two. One of two. Well, 50, the eight-year-old is eight years clean at this point. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> That's good. Can we just his, can we just his, stunt his, them his at ten years old and just have them be ten forever? I'm I'm going to figure it out. Well, 
that's interesting too that you know i'm sure you've always been really open i mean how could they not know about your your past and, right. and what you do now and um back to earlier when you were talking about you know sharing and, and being sorry for my loss well i feel like it's less of a loss if i share the story and i talk answer questions right um interviewers or fans because i feel like his addiction got more power um because he was not educated on heroin or drugs for the most part by his family he was um you know grew up on the peninsula and you know not not wealthy but just um didn't want for anything and so he became fascinated with the world because his life was very um white bread you know right i get it bread. so, so so he that became said, fascinated with completely honest with your kids and, and educating them through speaking. When did you start talking about it? At what age was? Pretty it? much right away. I did that PSA. Um, I did a PSA about um, drug, you know, drug addiction and getting educated. I remember know, seeing I, that. Jake I was, was for, in my lap. He was singing. Yeah. It, yeah. Was that for Music Cares? I think. And I just said, you know. Yeah, Music Cares. Yeah, that God. was for Music Cares. Then I then I. Uh, started school um with jacob how old were was he when he started talk, when you started talking to him about it jake um you know i do remember an incident when he was a toddler and um a bunch of my girlfriends were over at the house he was probably two three three he could talk um and all the kids my, all my girlfriend's kids were over they were all playing in we had like a little playroom area with all his toys and stuff and when my girlfriends walked by and overheard another kid say to Jake, well, Jake doesn't have a daddy. His daddy died from drugs. And then he goes, no, he didn't. He died because his heart was bad. Because I told him that up until he was old enough to really grasp what right. even drugs were. But, um, and then I realized when my friend came and told me she was crying, she goes, it's so sad. You know, I just witnessed, you know, heard, overheard the kids because kids don't know. Kids are mean, but yeah, kids are little. Mean, yeah. And I realized I got to really protect him and um, tell him the truth first and foremost, but not from children. So that way he can, you know, defend himself instead of, you know, looking like, you know, sounding or having the wrong information just to protect him. Right. My so, parents were like that with me. They told me. The so at a certain point, he would start to ask you questions about his dad. I would figure at uh, 10, 11, no, 12, 13. No, he never did. He did not. He did not. It was so a part of his ingrained in him and kind of um, almost to the point almost to the point where he was turned off by it. You know, if he heard a sublime song, he just tuned it out. Um, and I kind of instilled in him too: be careful, you know, don't let people know who your dad is when he got into junior high. Um, Cause you know, you'll get the wrong friends, you know, that you don't try and impress people. With, well, even, with well, here's, here's the thing to give you solace. Even if Bradley would have been alive, you would have had to have that conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, Absolutely. So, <laughs> well, so, there, so, then, you know, pretty much he heard it in the background always, you know, um, either us doing interviews or, you know, being recognized by fans. Or I do go up to the cemetery every year and we've developed kind of this group of, um, of fans that come every year, either for the anniversary of his birthday or the anniversary of his passing. And, um, you know, I would drag Jake along. Um, got to the point when he was about fifteen, he didn't want to go anymore. He just not very comfortable with that attention. So something he he's, he, he's going, yeah, but he's he's the son. Of, he's the son of the. So I, this is kind of my wheel. Well, I've been the counselor for almost every dead rock star's kid. So yeah. So they all want to. The sense is that other people know my 
father or have a relationship with my father that I don't. And so somehow they have to take that journey. And I can tell you that kind of I, I can tell you that documentary films are can be a, a, a way of going about it somehow. And that's why I heard that your son was involved in the documentary film. I didn't know to what extent or what it was about or so the point the point really is that that you've protected your child and you've done a great job and but these things don't go away. I can just say my dad wasn't a musician and killed himself when I was 15 and it's something I still live with today. So it's something that you just need to be open about and therefore and available and answer questions when they arise and you it seems like you've done a great job of of going with the flow with him, right? Going with the flow. Right. Wherever And Jacob now is, you know, starting his own songwriting music career. I mean, he's, he's already started it. And um, his voice, he gets compared all the time to his dad. His voice does sound incredibly similar, but he's got that passion. And so it's undeniable. It's just, it's genes. I mean, I, I kind of steered, I never put a guitar in his hand. I never encouraged him to play music. He was uh, always a story writer. And then one day about 14, 15 years old, he started humming you know, tunes. I was like, what is that? You know, and, and me being a music lover and, uh, you know, music's my religion. I never wanted to play, but I mean, I, I have that ear for, you know, something that's incredible, something that's different that, that, that needs to be heard. And so I nurtured it and, um, his influences are not at all like Bradley's. He's not into reggae or, or punk rock or rap. He loves, um, Tool, and Mastodon and Queens of the Stone Age. Mastodon. Mastodon. Yeah. And that he developed all on his own because those are not my bands. I took him to see Bad Brands when he was 14 and I played David Bowie for him and Prince and everything, you know, and all the ska music. And he turns into a Mastodon head. Mastodon, for those that don't know, is one of the raddest new bands that sound. They remind me of Rush, like, like. They're heavy. It, it's, oh, wow. It's, compli it's complicated. So. I the, it's funny they just canceled the United States tour uh, for personal reasons. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I, was, See, I was wondering what, so what, what kind of personal reasons does a band cancel their tour for? Chuck, do you want to come in as this chemical um, dependency counselor? I, yeah, <laughs> I could think of a lot. Back in the day, they would just take their problems with them. Yeah, you there know, used to be. Yeah, <laughs> there used to be ways to survive those personal problems and still play a concert yeah. for an hour every night. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> well, you know, you know what I think is shocking is that record companies would actually try to protect their artists when they make so much more money when they pass. I'm surprised that they that they care. I, I've I've seen record companies use people and spit them out all over the place. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. you, as a musician, I was that musician, and most of my friends were too. Nobody can tell Kurt Cobain what to do. I guarantee you no. that. Not but, even Chris. Not Dave. Oh no, not he anybody could. Yeah, he canceled when he wanted to, and he said, "Let's go" when he wanted to. And the idea no that fear, the really. idea that the that that somehow Geffen is to blame or Danny Goldberg is to blame that's naive. Kurt Cobain ran his own show, and I'm sure Bradley did too. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? So then, then when they pass away, is that how you say it? When they pass, when they pass, everybody go blame because you're stuck with these feelings, right? Troy, you stuck with all these overwhelming yeah. feelings of loss and anger and frustration. And so the easiest person to point at is either the person who gave him the dope 
which or oh, yeah. or the or the manager who let him go out on tour or the record company who kept pushing him for another album or that's not it's not that cartoon like yeah. it's very complicated and what and I did that for in the beginning when we first um when we first started seeing each other I would I you know when he'd kick and I'd you know totally root for him and hope you know that this was it you know invest all those emotions and and encourage him and then he would relapse I would just hate all of the dealers, you know, they'd go right. uh, cough from, like it was their fault. But really when he did pass, my first emotion was anger and I was mad at him. Um, but Bradley just, he was not strong enough to do it on his own. And he did it with rehab. He, he, he kicked so many times and, and overdosed a lot of times, you know, and, and well, well, he, did he Nobody have a group of friends that were sober? Was the Todd guy sober oh, by then? Oh, hell no. Oh, okay. Not back then. Oh, okay. Nobody. There was no such thing. <laughs> I mean, there was, but no, 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 no. I mean, um, everybody was still riding the wave. And See, that's a Bradley goddamn Orange County, Chuck. Long Beach People is, were sober is in LA, LA Troy. I'm telling you, there were sober people in yeah. LA. Not in Orange County, though. <laughs> I always, Not a trickle yet. <laughs> part of part of our rep, uh, you know, our repartee around here is me putting down Orange County because Chuck advocates for it all the time. Yeah. I was born in Orange County. But, <laughs> Good for you. Um, Good genes. Smart yes. enough to move to San Diego, though, weren't you? <laughs> yes, when I was twelve. Well, my dad always lived here, and I have to go back to Riverside. Oh, off Riverside. I will feel accomplished when I get Chuck to move to Claremont. Mm, I, like, I like mm. I like the bears. That's where we. <laughs> I do like the bears. <laughs> the bears. I I live in Claremont. We're up in Claremont. And there's bears outside the windows, and sometimes it's scary. I thought and, it was Laverne. La yeah, Laverne, it's California. it says Laverne when you're on the map quest, but it's Claremont. Really. But it's above Ontario. Bob, did you? Right? Yeah, Bob, yeah. Bob, did you know that there's a bear poop right out underneath yeah. your window? <laughs> yeah, I know. They How come here. How can you here. tell the difference? <laughs> <laughs> it's giant. It's gigantic. It was me. <laughs> well, it's not called poop, Mike, in the nature. It's called scat. That's bear uh, scat. Well, there's some yeah. scat. There's some scat right out the window. <laughs> I thought <laughs> scat was. You know, the, like other just... the other night, because we have a cat that refuses to come indoors, so it sleeps on the roof and the food is down the ground. The bear was eating the cat food out of the cat. Oh, my God. That must be like an hors d'oeuvre to a bear. Right? Like, yeah. yeah. A little bit of cat food. Yeah, he was waiting for the cat. <laughs> They're <laughs> yeah, brown bears. Like They're brown bears. They're not violent. Oh, they Anyways, make me feel small. So, anyway. so I, I just, uh, you know, you got a lot, your son and you got a lot to be proud of. Things are going, you know, that, that, that there is this music that makes people happy. It's a funny thing about that sound of music. It, it's so happy. It makes you your soul a little lighter. It makes you believe in life a little bit, which is hard for someone like me because <laughs> I don't yeah. believe in life. <laughs> but when, yeah. I, I, don't when I hear Sublime, when I hear Sublime, I think life is not as bad as I think it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you know, the unique thing about Bradley's lyrics is that they were relatable to a lot of people. I still get messages from fans saying that you know young fans and new fans saying that bradley's lyrics changed their lives or got them through bad times or you know so you got 40 ounce of freedom where it's you know the party album then you got robin the hood where it's you know dark and it's about his you know spiral into addiction and, and you know losing the war yeah. um and then you got the last album which 
really ties it all in and really um, shows their musical genius. Right. And um, so there's a lot of new fans that don't even know that Bradley's gone. But do you know um, how hard, I, I don't know, you said you weren't a songwriter, so it is so hard to write a song that inspires joy. It's one of the hardest things to do. And when I was doing that thing for the 20-year anniversary, and we were at the rehearsal, and then all the different singers were singing the songs, and I was sitting there, there's just so much joy in that album, right? And here's the interesting thing. And then this is kind of my theory of life, which is there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of pain in this existence. Oh, yeah. And just minutes after this album was done, there was pain. And it fell on Troy and her. But the great thing about it is that so many, so many of the fans get something from every every part of of their collection. You know, their their um, their catalog. There's something for everyone. Right. I mean, he even covers a Grateful Dead song for Christ's sake. I know. You know? I knew. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that. So let me ask but, you this: you know, Did you go to that concert? Were you there? Which one? The last the, one at the, the Fonda. The, uh, the 20 year anniversary. Yeah. No. Is it too painful so. for you? No, I love going. And, you know, the Long Beach Ball Stars is the band that formed after Bradley passed away. And everybody in that band grew up with Bradley. And it was Bud and Eric, the bass player and the drummer from Slime. Yeah, yeah. Plus like 10 other guys. And it was their way of paying tribute and kind of mourning, you know, in their own way. Because we all went through a tragedy together. Right. I mean, we were we were each other's, you know, street soul family. But that and, night, um, that night, there was two magical things that happened. Because I'm like... I'm, fa- I'm fascinated by moments in life. And one was when Angela was singing. I got this sense nah. that Bradley would be so happy. Because Angelo Ooh. is Ooh. notorious for not really giving his all in some songs. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of well, no, no, you know goes what? through I've the motions. He was not going through the motions that night, Angelo oh, Moore. Really? He he could feel it, and he felt he could. You could sense that he knew how important it was. And then the other moment was David Hidalgo, the most beautiful singer in Los Angeles from Los Lobos. It was yeah. just magnificent, and uh, and it was an honor to be there. But but and, and it well, was you a know, celebration. I've always said that because after he passed away, you know, um, Long Beach Ball Stars they got half pint to um, do a song with them, and when they were touring, you know, they'd have guest artists like. Barrington Levy, Half Pint, HR from Bad Brains. These were all Bradley's idols. Right. A lot of their music he stole. And I was always like, God dang, you know, he never got to do that. Well, he did get to, they got to back up HR years ago. Um, but still, you know, Barrington, Half Pint, these are all people he just never thought he'd be as good as. And he just, you know, worshiped. And they're up there singing with the Dub All Stars. So it would, so back to, you know, your question about if it's painful. No, I, I love, I love seeing the fans sing along and I love being at the live shows because you just feel the energy and you feel, it just takes the sadness away. And so of course That's I will beautiful. never stop talking about him or playing his music or um, letting fans tell me their stories because um, it keeps them alive. And it's, and it's just, my life has totally changed because of the short time I had Bradley in it. And the dub all-stars are so great, man. You know, with Opie singing. And didn't Opie do all of his mm-hmm. tattoos and stuff? Opie and then um, there was Rass. Um, there was right, and Rass and everything. There was Horns. There was um, Marshall Goodman would um, switch out on the drums with Bud. And then Marshall would go to, you know, he's filled Marshall. He's the, the DJ from Sublime. And, you know, he'd go and DJ. And 
you know, it just it was great. And Jack Manis. Jack. And, Today's his birthday. And happy oh, birthday. it is yeah. happy birthday, yeah. Jack Manis. Happy birthday. And you know, the guys are playing again together. They've reformed. They've got um, Michael Happel. Got, yeah, and they also have on keyboards um, Roger Revis from the Acolytes. Oh, nice. Yeah. And they're older now. They can go on tour. They can play a show and go home right afterwards. You know, it's, they're not <laughs> wrecking themselves. It, it, it just became, they became a hot mess. I mean, they literally had babysitters on the road. And plus half the band wasn't even, ever, had never been in a band before. So <laughs> it was, it was intense, you know, and OB never wanted to sing. <laughs> so, but, but you uh, said so great, they've right. reunited and they're doing stuff. Oh yeah. They're touring. Um, they just played at Alex's not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, they're doing a lot of California shows. They're, um, they're going to Japan in March and Europe after oh, that. Cool. And then Jake, he has an acoustic residency at St. Rock in Hermosa Beach. And Wednesday oh, nice. nights is last night. Well, so when is, I'm sure in this 21st century, he must have some YouTube or SoundCloud things up, right? Or no? Oh, absolutely. Just look up Jake Knoll. And, there you uh, go. There so, you go. And so, his band is called Law, L-A-W. Their first album was incredible. Um, it's called Mild Lawtism. <laughs> and it's got <laughs> Alistair Crowley well, on the cover. Oh, Mild Lawtism. Somewhere yeah. along the line, he got into your Black Sabbath record, it sounds like, when yeah. he was very little. Well, <laughs> I think I rubbed off on him in the sense that I was a comic book nerd and a sci-fi fantasy nerd. So now he's into, and you know, I'm super into astrology and numerology and all the mysticism. And I just love that he's got this fantasy world. And yet his, his lyrics are so... Doctor Who? Do you like Doctor Who? What was that? Doctor Who? You know what? I don't think he got into that. He was more into online gaming, like uh, World of Warcraft um, and books. He eats up books. So, Troy, books, before, like before we wrap it up, um, are, are, are you involved in the in the Knoll Foundation thing with Jim at all? Is that something you're doing? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. Right. No, I'm not. I, I support them. And I think it's great. And there's a lot of fans that will get whatever it is they need from Bradley's house that they, they um, recently opened up in Bradley's name, but are you like I'm holistic actually, or harm reduction? Yeah. Or? Um, I went to school the first year after Bradley passed away. I went to um, community college and I took all the drug counselor courses. Um, I was trying to get my certification. So I thought, what do I have the most experience in, you know, <laughs> in my life? Right. But I never dealt with heroin addiction. So, you know, it ended up serving its purpose as far as helping me understand that, you know, Bradley's addiction was bigger than anybody. I mean, if there was nothing I could have done, it, it healed me and educated me so i didn't get my certification so i'm going back to school in april in san diego to get my certification but not to counsel i want to um just research and look at different alternative ways for people that don't get na or aa or rehab and especially with opiate addiction being so rampant and right. you know ultimately leading to heroin addiction um it's the one drug that requires demands drug replacement therapy so just you know going to meetings or just saying no doesn't always work um right. so i'm looking at alternatives to that and there's a couple business models i have and you know um, i'm really interested in how cbds are now being effective in replacement of methadone which i believe is poison you know and it's just another i mean it's based on the same plant so we'll see what happens it's a, it's a relatively new concept in any treatment and it's harmless it's har part of harm reduction um and just learning different um, types of, you know, uh, self-help groups and um, support groups like meditating. 
there's a great um, group in Venice called Dharma Punks, and it was started by Noah Levine. Oh you know, yeah, a, you know Venice boy <laughs> and punk rocker. He just didn't get he didn't get. Bob knows about them. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Have and you read the Have you read the news this. lately, Troy? <laughs> what? No. Uh, you might want to check the Me Too website. Okay. Yeah. Me Too. I don't even know what that is. Well, there's just a lot of trouble with against the stream right now. So. Um, really? Okay. This is why I. This is why I don't like. He, this is why I'm kind of against. Uh, sober heroes and idols and and all the well, yeah kind of, it is kind of funky when you know with any kind of like yoga yogi type stuff yeah but there you go now you're talking that's, <laughs> right. I'm developing yeah because I go to the uh, SRF the self realization center in yeah yeah there but it's kind of you know my best friend came with me one time she's creeped out by the yogi who's been you know passed on since the fifties but his pictures are everywhere and he's worshipped. She's yeah, like, like, like alien. I go, well, you get what you get from that. I don't even know his name, you know, but um, I, yeah, but I you know, more to that. you know, it just sobriety at its at its most perfect is one person humbly, kindly, lovingly helping another person to achieve insight and and whole and, and wholeness, and then it's move on. Business. You it's don't try to make yourself into a deity, right? And I, and I see yeah. it, I see it in the twelve step sponsoring things too, like these big grandiose sponsors, mostly in Orange County. I got to admit. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, no, really. There you go I again. Well, that, well, I, I mean, see, Troy, I don't know if you know much about me. I just, I just am a complete and unbelievable asshole. So nobody wants to deify me or make me into a hero. I do know about you, and I, do, I can picture your face and your hat. And I don't think you're an asshole. No, but I, I can because what? I'm really opinionated. And I'm going to take a picture of him for you. And so, right now. so the, the are you a Virgo? No, I'm an Aquarius actually. So I don't Ooh, even know. Aquarius. I won't even remember we had blunt? this. I won't even remember we had this conversation an hour from now. No, oh and, and and people you know get their feelings hurt by you all the time, but you're just you're I'm, just brutally honest. I'm just trying to be honest. And here's the thing. So. Noah is a very long time friend of mine. We got sober together, and I and when you're when you get sober with a, at a same kind of uh, kind of uh, moment in time, you have similar. If you stay sober, you have similar kind of things unfold. I always say, you know, my friend Harold is like five years sober longer than me. So whatever's happening to him is most likely going to happen to me in the next three to five years. And then he had. Yeah, his kidneys <laughs> failed and he needed a new liver. And I was like, that's going to happen to me in three to five years. Oh, no. no, but, but, oh, no. but so you, the, the thing, the thing that I want to say is people should just seek their own solutions with the help of others. That that's when, yeah. when it works the best instead of, well, I think that's what Noah was trying to do is teach people to self-empower, but then ultimately the power, you know, always tends to get to any kind of leader. Um, I certainly wasn't trying to find something for me. I was just trying to get different experiences. Yeah, right. Um, and so you'll find it. The, 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 the thing that I've just come up with is we just got to get these kids to survive long enough to gain insight, right? I, I, unfortunately, yeah. I think Bradley was caught up in what I was caught up in, and I just luckily didn't die, which is go to rehab, stop, <laughs> kick, start using again, kick, mm -hmm. stop using, start, stop. And that oh, was... Oh, you get super high when you stop and you kick. Yeah, but <laughs> so, sometimes it, it doesn't go so well. 
And the only reason I'm yeah. sitting here is because one time after I'd just gotten out of rehab, I OD'd in a cab and the guy pulled over to the side of the road and pulled me out dead on the street. And a nurse was sitting at a bus bench right near where the guy oh. pulled me out and she resuscitated me and called 911 or I'd, I would have wow. uh, been dead myself from doing heroin when when I just got out of rehab. So so I'm so sorry. And, and wow. we had, it's great that you're so open and good luck to you and your son and... And you know, yeah. just keep keep Thank you. keep on trucking, keep on letting and it all hang out. I do believe these out. kids need to be educated now. They're starting to glamorize Xanax and um, heroin. Well, not glamorize heroin, but but opiates. Well, I a, you saw the stuff There's, with Little Peep. Remember the kid Little Peep oh, a few yeah. months ago? The and kid, my, I have a 17-year-old daughter, Jake's sister, um, Erica, and that's all she listens to is rap. Yeah, and so he was basically... About their pills. He was committing suicide live on YouTube for about a week with Xanax oh, bars. And, and somehow... It was there's an amorality or a don't tell other people what to do kind of uh, in, yeah. in the way They're the world is it. now. And so nobody really like even commented like you're pathetic. You need help. You know what I mean? That's what would happen if somebody tried to do that in the 80s or 90s. Yeah. He would have gotten criticized. He was being like, you're so sexy. I, well, I read the stream of some of the videos, the YouTube videos. It's a bizarre kind it's of a punk bizarre, rock attitude. It's a, it's a you know, bizarre, like a seditious where, you know, he'd lay on the bed and cut himself and, you know, play on stage bloody and, you know, they don't give a fuck, but they got fans. It's, it's, it's glamorized. And in a sense, I mean, there's even a rapper called little Zan, you know, little Xanax, um, little Xanax, yes, oh. little little Xanax. Xanax. You know? <laughs> the thing is, is that it's a whole new different drug era. Now they're starting to mix stuff, you know, heroin with the fentanyl. They, they mixed that with pills and alcohol and i'm like this is like a, a cocktail for death but i think it needs to wow i like that again. term cocktail for death well you know and it, it is true because <laughs> the, the people on the east coast a lot of times when we get them new they don't even test for opiates they they're positive for fentanyl they're, fentanyl. they're shooting yeah. fentanyl and, and, yeah. and, and they, these kids are getting into heroin not because it's glamorized but because the pills don't work anymore or they can't afford them or they can't find them yeah and it's right super easier way to do it and they're not they don't have that generation before them that was over glamorizing heroin. Like I saw Lady Sings the Blues when I was about twelve years old and bawled my eyes out on the couch. And I knew never to touch heroin just from that movie from Diana Ross going after Billy D. Williams with a with whatever she had you know, whatever weapon to right. get her needle back from him. And I was like, This is awful and I know I knew better. Like I would never touch a drug like that that would make me. You I know. thought you know what's so funny. I don't know when that came out, but when I saw it, I saw it in the movie theater. I think it was seventy five, so I was fourteen. All I remember is, and, and this is going to shock you, Chuck. No, I, I want to marry her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's the perfect woman. Even when she she's was, the even perfect she woman. Was <laughs> oh, the so, so everybody takes away what they love. take away, Troy. <laughs> 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 I gotta find me a girl like that. Yeah, uh -huh. that fits. And you I know. did several times. <laughs> oh, your very own Nancy. Oh my gosh! All right, well, we're gonna get going, and thank you so much for calling, and and this great conversation. Thanks so much. And I hope to thank meet you. you again soon. I know yeah. I've met you before. It was a long, 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 long time ago. Um, Doctor Drew's show, and it, and you know Bradley actually showed up to it. The band showed up to it. It was when it was on K Rock. Yeah. Hmm. And um, we were like in the outdoor kind of like garage thing. But yeah, I hope to 
cross paths with you soon. Yeah, well, let's hear when you go to school and some more stuff about harm reduction or replacement therapy or Buddhism or whatever. As long as these kids... Exorcism. Can, yeah, exorcism, <laughs> whatever we can do to keep them alive until they wise up. All right. Absolutely. Thanks okay, so much. Thank See you, you later. Bye-bye. All righty, Chuck. Great job of getting that to work, Michael. Oh, now you're happy. You were yelling at me with your like, hands. Like, you just you, you gotta like just like, oh god. We're talking about death, drugs. No, and I have to interrupt. And, and <laughs> in, interpersonal things. And you're talking about what drummer used to be in her son's band. Well, well you know, I can edit whatever you want out, Bob. No, you have to Bob leave it issue. in now so that the people know what we're talking about. I was just like, I'm the oh, editor. I can edit. You know what? Anything. What sign are you? Because I know she's into what sign? Leo. So is Leo's the ones obsessed with details that don't matter, Chuck? Is that the? Uh, is that one of the key I signs think of they're it? They're pretty strong-headed. They're, they're, that's what they're strong, known. They're known. Those, they're known for being their dominant type character. <laughs> those, so I just want that was part of that was the best part of the conversation. To <laughs> tell you the truth, <laughs> the drummer that's not even in the band anymore. He's back in. <laughs> oh, he's back. <laughs> Bob tuned out. He was like, I oh, oh, don't, don't want. Okay, to here's a trivia question for you. Yes. Mike Mart was in the band and he won't even know the answer, Chuck. I, I bet that you more know the answer, Chuck, than that Mike does. Pete Weiss. There, well, no. That, it involves Pete Weiss. For Dick a six-month period of time in the 30-year history of Thelonious Monster, Pete Weiss was not the drummer of Thelonious Monster. Who was? Oh, KK. My. No. He doesn't even know it's so bad. Wait, was, wait no, let me guess. Was it... Um, Jack Irons? No. Oh. It was Peter Haskell, Mike Mart. Uh, Eddie Haskell's, Haskell's brother? I, I was never in that. That was so <laughs> early was, on. Dude. He was not in that version, to, 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 to be fair. But Pete brought it up constantly. Uh, really? So we kicked him out and got Pete Haskell so, we could, Pete Haskell so we could open for X. That was Pete's whole thing. Oh, so he it could was because... He could never accept that it was something... I don't even know what... It wasn't me driving it. How crazy is that? Wow. And so then Pete Haskell was Xene's boyfriend. So then ah. X, then X started being. We opened when X recorded that live album at the Whiskey A Go Go, right? I we do remember that. We opened all five nights. They played under the name Johnny Hit and Run Pauline. Right, and they recorded the live album that X, what the, it, whatever it's called. It's a great live album, no, really. That, and I guess what? That. So third night, we're sitting in the dressing room, and Xene hung out in our dressing room because Pete Haskell was her boyfriend. Okay. And she l walks up to me and goes, do you want to sing a song with us tonight, Bob? And I was like, I like this new drummer. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and she goes, what song do you know? Because she, she was Thelonious Monster savvy. And I said, I think I could fake my way through Nausea. And I sang Nausea with Xene on the same microphone at the Whiskey A Go-Go because Pete Haskell was Thelonious Monster's drummer. So it, so that is why are you boring us with these little details about <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna go home. See you next time. <laughs> Good night. Oh, All right, bye bye. bye.
Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die podcast. We've got 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Allo Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live, but first and foremost, don't die. That's Allo Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.